all God's people say, oh my gosh, wow, are you kidding me, are you kidding me, wow, I, I want to read a passage that, uh, that Mark read before that song, Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. How did God demonstrate his own love for us? And by sending Christ to die for us while, while we were still sinners, by, by loving us when, when it was undeserved. I mean, aren't you glad that God didn't wait until we deserved his love to give us his love, to send his son? Amen. And down in Matthew chapter 5, uh, these are some words that Jesus spoke by the hillside by the Sea of Galilee. He says, you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, now God never said that, but uh, people can always twist scripture, right? And they did that. God never said that. But uh, we say some stuff that we say God says that he didn't say either. Okay? You've heard that it was said, love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Treats everybody the same. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. I love this. You know, two things Jews hated were tax collectors. Anybody like tax collectors? Especially corrupt ones, right? And, and Gentiles, right? So if you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even Gentiles do that. But you're to be perfect, complete in your love, even as your father is perfect and complete in his love. May God bless the reading of his scripture. And we're going to pray, and, and we're going to pray with palms open. And we do that around here at Maple Grove. It's just symbolic, right? You can do it if you want. Just symbolic that as my hands are open, so is my heart and my mind. And I'm ready to receive from God this morning. Uh, Father God, we, we do, when we think about it, we stand amazed in your presence. Uh, that a God like you would love people like us. Uh, that the one who holds oceans in his hands and stretch out the heavens uh, like a curtain would hold each of us individually like a lamp close to his heart. And, and God, you have a message for us today, for me, for everyone in this room. And God, I pray that we would open up our hearts and our minds, that we would, we would breathe out any distraction, God, that would be in the way of, of hearing the truth. And, and God, I pray that somehow you would find a way to use me to talk about such an incredible important topic today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we kicked off a new series called It's Time to Grow, and it's a, it's a, it's a nine-week study of the fruit of the Spirit. And here the, here, here's those fruit of the Spirit, and let's read this together on a count of three. One, two, three. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, he says, hey, there's a, there's a really sure way to tell if somebody's really my follower or, or they're just a fan or an admirer. He said in Matthew chapter 7, he said this, by their fruit, you will know that. 
I understand, if we claim to be a Jesus follower, then the fruit of the Spirit must be evident in our lives. Question, are those nine qualities, those nine Christ-like qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, are they evident, are they visible in your life, and not just to those that you find easy to like and easy to be around, but even for those who you don't think deserve your love? You see, it's not how we look when we come to church. It's not how, it's not how self-righteous we appear on the surface when we're with other Christians. It's the fruit that we bear. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, last week we talked about it, an obvious but often overlooked truth about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's that we can't grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives until we pull up the weeds of the sinful nature. Okay? We can't grow the fruit until we pull the weeds. Uh, tell the person to your right and left, you got to pull them weeds. And, and, and I know for you grammar Nazis, that was hard. <laughs> I, I understand it. it it's, it's more than counterproductive for us to ask God to grow the fruit of the Spirit in us while we're continuing to water the weeds of the sinful nature. Get it? Good. Maple Grove, we need to pull the weeds. Listen, weed pulling takes time. Uh, Weed pulling requires that we get down in the dirt and we dig deep. Uh, Weed pulling is not a one-time event, right? Uh, We got to check that flower bed almost every day or else it's going to be overgrown with weeds. But the good news about uh, weed pulling is that weed pulling, just like the fruit of the Spirit, we do not do that by our own human effort, but we do both weed pulling and fruit growing is all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's, it's not on us, right? It's in us. He's in us. Now, this morning, we're going to, and if you missed last week's message, I really encourage you to go online and check it out. If you heard it before, check it out again. I mean, God is doing something in the series, and, and if, you, if you invest yourself, right, you'll get in what you put into this, and I guarantee if you invest yourself in this, you will not be the same person. I will not be the same person. We will not be the same church when this is over because the fruit of the Spirit will radically change every one of us. And this morning, we're going to talk about the first quality of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about love in a conversation that I'm calling love when it's undeserved. And, and the way I'm, I'm building this conversation is by answering three questions. Question number one, um, why is love so important? And number two, what is love? And number three, how, how do we grow this fruit? Okay. Uh, why is love so important? I'm going to let scripture answer this one. It does a pretty good job of it, by the way. Um, why is love so important? Because everything is tied to love. Check out what Jesus said. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then Paul said this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Why is love so important? Because everything is tied to love. And also because love is the only thing that counts. Paul says this in Galatians 5 verse 6, the same chapter where we find the fruit of the Spirit. He says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
I'm going to say the first part, and then you guys say the second part. You ready? The only thing that counts. The only thing that counts. Amen. Why is love so important? Next, because without love, nothing else matters. Paul wrote this. You maybe heard it in a wedding one day. Maybe yours. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would it be? Because no one's listening. If I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame but have not love, I gain nothing. Wow, do you see what God's word is saying? He said that without, without love, nothing else matters, nothing. I understand, it, it does not matter what you, what, you, what you give. It does not matter what you say. It does not matter what you know. It, it does not matter what you accomplish. And it doesn't even matter how, how radically you live out your faith if you do not have love. It does not matter. Understand, without love, our words are just meaningless. And God says, Without love, God's word says, without love, that we are nothing and we gain nothing. Why is love so important next? Because love is how people will know that we follow Jesus. He said this, by, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you, if you uh, wear t-shirts and have Christian bumper stickers and, you know, and, and, and have a church building, right? No, he didn't say that. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you see, throughout the centuries, whenever the church got it right, it hasn't always got it right, but whenever the church got it right, the world would say, I I don't like them, I don't like what they're saying, but man, I cannot deny the way that these people love. And finally, why is love so important? Because without love, we remain in death. Here's one of those very uncomfortable verses we don't really like, but it's in there, you know, you know, it's easy to understand. It's clear. There's not like seven trumpets and seals kind of deal, right? It's really clear language. John writes this. We read it this week, and our faith comes from hearing. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And later on in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, which we'll read this week in our, in our Bible reading, is whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Why is love so important? Because everything is tied to love. Because love is the only thing that counts. Because without love, nothing else matters. Because love is how people will know that we follow Jesus. Because without love we still remain in death. Not about you, but I think Scripture's pretty convincing that this love thing is like a huge deal. I mean, I'm pretty convinced. Is anybody else convinced that love is a big deal? All right, cool. Everybody's tracking with me. That's good. Next question, what is love? Several years back, a bunch of researchers gathered several four-year-olds and eight-year-olds, and they asked them this question. They said, you know, what is love? What does love mean? And and these four through eight-year-olds gave some of the most deep and penetrating answers you could ever imagine. Now, check out some of these answers they gave. This is Rebecca, age eight. 
When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too, that's love. Rebecca, age eight. Uh, Billy, age four, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Wow. Chrissy, age six, love is, I love this one. When you, I don't know if I could do this one. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Without making them give you any of theirs. I got to work on that one. Uh, yeah, next. Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Uh, Bobby, age seven, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Seven years old. You go, Bobby. Uh, Nick, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with the friend who you hate. <laughs> That's good advice. All right. <clears throat> Tommy, age six, love is like a little old man and a little old woman who are still friends even after they know each other so well. All right. Some of you could attest to that, right? All right. And last but not least, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Wow. What incredible depth and insight into describing what love is. No wonder Jesus said that to enter the kingdom of heaven that we have to become like a, like a small child. Now, now, love is probably the most misunderstood word in our culture. And part of the problem is we use the same word to describe a lot of different things. I love my wife, I love pizza, I love football, I love America. Yes, this one word love gets tossed around more than a deflated football in the Super Bowl. (laughs) And yeah, I own it, I own it, all right? All right, I'm a Patriots fan, I still am, all right? I can't believe this is the biggest news story, but hey, I own it, all right? I'm still gonna wear my jersey next week, all right? It's enough of that. (laughs) Abuse yourself before others can. My mama taught me that. All right? Laugh at yourself first and nobody can laugh at you. Um, Now, the Greeks didn't have that problem because they had more than one word for love. They had four. Uh, The four words were phileo, which was brotherly love and friendship, eros, passionate or sexual love, storge, which was parental or family love, and the word agape. Now, the word agape wasn't used much in ancient literature, but it's all over the New Testament. In fact, 92% of the time you see the word love in the New Testament, it's the word agape, a word that describes a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love of the will. It's a love that's not dependent on there being anything particularly lovable about the object being loved. It's love when it is undeserved. Get it? good. Now, now there's two things about God's kind of love that I want to mention. First, God's kind of love is a command. Jesus said in an upper room, he he said that a new command I give you, love one another. Now, what do you mean by new? I mean, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. What do you mean new? Well, it's new in that they now had an example to follow. It's new because they now had a supernatural power that gave them ability to do it. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. You see, God has placed love in the non-optional category. It's a command. And because love is a command, it blows away one of the myths out there about love, that love is a what? It's a feeling. 
I mean, even Huey Lewis got this one right, right, didn't he? This, let's see how good you do. See if you can fill in the blanks of the, the song, The Power of Love. The Power of Love is a curious thing, all right? Make one man weep, make another man sing, sing all right? Change a hot, whoa, bottle of water. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, change a hawk to a little, little white dove, more than a, that's the power of love. Now, I do have a confession to make. Um, I, I may lose my 70s classic rock card because someone came up to me and I, I didn't use Boston more than the feeling, all right? Because when sweet Marianne walks away, right, it hurts, right? I see my Marianne walking away, okay? <laughs> all right, anyhow, that was free. You didn't want it anyhow, okay? Um, I understand you cannot command a feeling, you can no more command a feeling than you command the, the wind to blow or the mountains to move. Feelings cannot be commanded. Love is not a feeling. Now, now love creates feelings. It, 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 it uh, produces feelings. It causes feelings. But love is not a feeling. It's a command of your king. I, I understand. Feelings are not the root of love. You know, feelings shouldn't be the root of any relationship, right? Feelings are not the root. Feelings are the fruit. See, the root of love is the decision that you and I make to love somebody. Get it? Which brings us to the next thing about love, that that God's kind of love, it's a choice. Which takes out another major myth about love, that love is uncontrollable. As if one day I'm just walking along and instantly I'm in love. No control over it. I mean, even the terminology that we use supports this myth. We say that I fell in love. You know, like there's some big ditch out there, right? Whoa, you know, whoa, I'm falling in love and I can't get back up, right? That we had no control over it. Not true. Understand, we choose whether to love someone or to not love someone. Get it? But what if we don't feel like loving them? And yeah, I get that. I've been there, I've done that, and I bought the T-shirt, right? You know, I know what it's like to... You know, sometimes you have to love someone that you don't feel like loving, right? You don't feel like it. You don't feel like loving them. But, but understand, acting in love when you don't feel like it is actually a higher level of love than acting in love when you do feel like it. Like Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You see, it's one thing to love someone when the flowers are in bloom, the sky is blue, the bills are paid, and everyone's getting along. But the real test of love is when things are not going so good, when you're out of money, when you're sick and you don't feel good, when the pressure's on, when you're stressed out and you're worn out, and that person is much easier to avoid and ignore than they are to love. Vapor Grove, we can choose to love in spite of how we feel. And it's a higher level of love. Have you ever, despite how you felt, gotten up in the middle of the night with a sick child? That's love. Have you ever been kind and patient with your spouse, even when they are grumpy and grouchy? My wife did that for me yesterday. Man, I was like a grouch last night, man. I was just on fire. Who can I just be mean to, right, in my house? I mean, the dog was like running under the chair. Like, this guy's insane, right? You know, that's love. You know, one guy was asked, hey, do you, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? 
He said, no, I usually let her sleep in. <laughs> That's funny, maybe. <laughs> Where's she at? I understand, love is making a choice to give someone what they need, not what they deserve. And that's what God did, and that's what God does for us. The psalmist writes, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. Thank you, God. Listen, if we got what we deserve from God, I wouldn't be standing up here and you wouldn't be sitting out there. God doesn't give us what we deserve. That's called mercy. Instead, uh, God gives us what we don't deserve. That's called grace. That's called love. And that's the fruit that God wants you and I to bear in our lives. By their fruit, you will know them. Now, now raise your hand if, if you want more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Okay, look around for any hands down and slap those people right now. No, kidding. What are you doing here? You don't want the fruit. What's up with you? No. Okay, that's good. And there should be a warning label that comes with the fruit the fruit of the Spirit. Rick Warren wrote in The Purpose Driven Life, God develops the fruit of the Spirit in your life by allowing you to experience circumstances in which you will be tempted to express the exact opposite quality. For instance, God teaches us love by putting some unlovely people around us. Again, it's easy to love people who love us, who are, who are nice, who are pleasant to be around. But again, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even Gentiles do that much. Now understand, if God's going to teach you and I to love the way he loves, he's going to put some hard-to-love people in our lives. Question, do you got any? Do you got any? I mean, if I gave you a minute to write down, you know, you know, the difficult people in your life, would you have trouble coming up with a name? Or would you be saying, hey, Steve, can I have some more time and a little bit more paper? You know, please don't make that list now because that person may be sitting next to you and it really bummed them out, right, if they're on your list. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe on your list of those undeserving of your love could be an obnoxious relative, a, a troublesome neighbor, a, a disagreeable and, and, and mean-spirited coworker, or maybe some self-absorbed, it's always about me person that you just can't seem to get away from. Okay, here, here's the deal. I, I want you to think about the person in your life that right now that you feel is the most undeserving of your love. Are you thinking about them? Okay, I have, another, I have another question. When you think about actually and actively loving them, what do you feel? Now, if you're like me, you probably feel a little or a lot of resistance. I mean, they hurt you. They betrayed you. They lied about you. They lied to you. They mistreated you, misquoted you. They took advantage of you, or, or they did that to somebody else that you love. And the truth is, you do not want to love them. You don't. And, and there's this huge resistance. It's, it's like a 12-foot, steel-reinforced, steel reinforced concrete wall that's in the way. And it's a resistance that you're going to have to push through if you're ever going to be able to love them the way that God loves, sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally, not requiring that they earn or deserve it. Yeah, many times when it comes to loving someone, there's this resistance. But listen, the news is not all bad. 
Because that hard-to-love person is an opportunity for you to undergo some serious SRT, spiritual resistance training. Now, resistance training is, you know, I brought these up here, and the big, I left the bigger ones at home because I wasn't sure the table could handle it. The 50-pound dumbbells I left back home, you know what I'm saying? You know, I didn't want, I don't know if that table, I could, but I'm not sure the table could, right? Okay, but resistance training is any exercise that causes the muscles to contract against an external resistance with the expectation of increases in strength, tone, mass, and or endurance. The external resistance could be a dumbbell, it could be tubing, it could be your own body weight, it could be bottles of water, or any object that causes the muscles to contract. In spiritual resistance training, uh, that external force, it could, be, it could be a spouse, it could be an ex-spouse, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be a coworker, it, it could be a church member, it could be a church leader. This resistance, you know you should love them, but there's this resistance. But understand, just as... Resistance training helps. Let's hit that next one. There you go. Just as resistance training helps increase physical muscles, strength, tone, mass, and endurance, expressing love when it's undeserved, spiritual resistance training will help develop and grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Get it? Good. But how do we do that? How do we push through that 12-foot concrete wall? I mean, think about that person, man, that's just driving you crazy right now, that you'd rather slap than love. How do, we, how do we grow that fruit? Well, that's what I want to talk about in our time remaining. It's just three things that are critical if we're going to be able to love when it's undeserved. Now, the first is we have to embrace the 419 principle. You see, before we can really love others, we must first experience God's love. I mean, Paul wrote these words. They're just incredible. Uh, I pray Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Question, why is it so important for us to feel loved by God? Because unloved people are often unloving people. You see, when we don't feel genuinely loved, we don't feel like giving love. In other words, it's hard to give what we never received. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to make a withdrawal if no one has ever made a deposit into our account. Max Lucado writes these words in one of his books. He says, we preachers have been guilty of skipping the first step. Love each other, we tell our churches. Be patient, kind, forgiving, we urge. But instructing people to love without telling them that they are loved is like telling them to write a check without making a deposit in their accounts. No wonder so many relationships are withdrawn. No wonder so many hearts have insufficient love. Now, the Apostle John, he demonstrates the right sequence in 1 John chapter 4. He makes a deposit into our account. He says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And as I read that verse this week, it's like, yeah, I know that, right? We know that. 
That, that verse should like really get us excited. And, and so what I did, I, I wrote it out for myself and changed the pronouns. God showed how much he loved Steve by sending his only son into the world so that Steve might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It's not that Steve loved God, but that, but that he loved Steve and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away Steve's sins, to take away my sins. And after having made, making this, this, this mind-blowing deposit into our accounts, John calls on us to write a check. The very next verse, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And then down in 1 John 4.19, he unveils what I call the 419 principle. <laughs> we love each other because he loved us first. Look up. You have no idea how much God loves you. No idea. His love for you, it's, it's unearned and undeserved. It's unconditional and unbounded. God loves you. God likes you. God wants to be around you. God enjoys you. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, he'd pull it out, and there's like millions of pictures of you. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. I mean, think about it. He loved you so much that he willingly put his son on a cross and let him die. I don't love anybody that much. I'm never, never, don't ask me to do that because I'm not. I got five kids. I'm not going to do that. I don't understand how he did that. But talk about love. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. See, the key to living a life of love is being loved. Paul says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. You, you, you see, as a, you know, as a tree draws nutrients from the soil, we draw nutrients from God's love. But, but, but what happens to a tree that loses contact with the soil? Some of you who have real Christmas trees, I have an artificial one. If you have a real one, you experienced that probably not long ago, right? You know, your tree's been up for four or five weeks, and it's time to bring that puppy down. You take the ornaments off, and you try the best you can, get that sucker out of the house. But what, what, what winds up everywhere? Needles, right? Like, why didn't I close that heater vent? Because it piled up that high. I had to dig, that, dig it out one time. You see, three to five weeks not in soil had a drastic effect on that tree. Are you finding it hard to love? Has your love become brittle and fragile, easy to fall apart? Do you ever get frustrated at your inability to love? I mean, do you, ever, do you ever look at that classic definition of love? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. You know, it's not, it's not boast, it's not proud. And you think, no way, I'll never, I'll never be able to love that way. Never gonna happen. I mean, no matter how hard I try, I always fall short. If that's where you're today, maybe what you need to do, maybe God brought you today to tell you, you need to embrace the 419 principle. We love because God first loved us. The critical essential step in growing the fruit of love in our lives is is letting our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And I want to kind of illustrate that with the, with the sponge. I love these sponges, man. You need a greenie and a sponge, just saying. Now that, that's a real sponge right there. Okay, and this is water, and this water represents God's love. And this is you, right? You're trying to love, right? You got nothing, right? You're squeezing a sucker, nothing's coming out. I'm trying to love this person, it's just not working. How do I do it? God says, well, why don't you... 
immerse yourself in my love. Man, then it just like drips off. Just drips off. And you find it easier to love. But you know what? Here's what happens, man. You know, you're loving, loving, loving. You're like, oh, oh my goodness, it's getting harder and harder. Let me try harder. And God says, no, no, no. See, God brought some of you here today just to tell you it's time just to immerse yourself in the love that God has for you, to realize how much he loves you, though you'll never comprehend it. And when you do, you're going to find it so much easier to love. You can't do this on your own. I can't either. The next thing we need to do, and we need to, we need to get rocking here, um, is Okay, if we want to love when it's undeserved, we got to embrace the 419 principle, and then we need to start pulling some weeds, right? Can you think of any weeds that get in the way of the fruit of love? Can you think of any? I thought of three that jumped up right away. Uh, the first was bitterness, right? I mean, we cannot grow, right? You cannot grow the fruit of love while holding bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody in your heart. You just can't do it. I understand, you, know, we, you cannot love your spouse fully if somewhere in your garden is a bunch of weeds because you're, you're still mad and resentful about your mom, something your parents did. I, I can't love my kids the way I want to love them if I'm holding bitterness in my heart because a bitter heart is a divided heart. And a divided heart cannot love fully. And if you want to love the way God does, you, you know, some of you need to say, you know what, it's time to let it go. God says you need to let it go. Let it go, let it go. Oh my God. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. <laughs> okay, every time you hear that song, wow, wouldn't that be good? Okay, I hope that song does drive you crazy, right? Hope it doesn't get out of your head. And God says, you need to let it go. You need to forgive them, let it go. Is it helping you? Is it helping you grow the food? Uh, another weed that, that pops up that chokes out love is selfishness. Love is not self-seeking. And listen, if I keep making it all about me, it can never be about anybody else, and it can never be about Jesus. The love, when it's undeserved, we have to get over ourselves. I'm going to give the opportunity of a lifetime. Tell the person to your right and left, you need to get over yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you all had too much fun with that one. Hey, if nothing else deserves an extra offering today, that's it, right there. Okay, you wanted to say that for a long time. And the third would be anger, right? I mean, it's impossible to love while you're watering the weed of anger, fussing, fighting, arguing, being negative, slandering, gossiping. It's just not going to happen. Okay, so, so if we want to love when it's undeserved, we got to what? We got to embrace the 419 principle. Let God love you. Man, he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And start pulling some weeds and then start planting some seeds. And, and let me tell you, two seeds that we, we can plant that help us grow the fruit of love. Uh, first is that we need to think loving thoughts. Think loving thoughts. Paul writes, do not just think about your own affairs, but be interested in in others too. You see, we need, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 5, uh, chapter 10, verse 5, we need to take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. You need to stop thinking negatively about that person and critical about that person. And maybe what, you, what we need to do is, you've heard that saying, you know, until you walk the mile in their shoes, 
right? You don't know what they've been through. I mean, this person that we find hard to love, we don't know what they've been through. We don't know what struggles they had, difficulties, what dreams they had crushed, what betrayal they experienced, what hard times they're facing even now. And so I see this. You know, I'm not going to think negative thoughts about them anymore. I'm going to try to see what they're going through. I'm going to try to think positive thoughts about them. And then what we need to do is we need to, we need to do loving things. I know what you're thinking. Well, if I, if, if I act lovingly towards someone when I don't feel like it, I'll be a hypocrite. No, you won't. You'll be obedient, right? You'll be obedient. That's, that's what love is. You see, here, here's an important truth. It's, it's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action, right? You're mad at your spouse. Start doing loving things, right? Buy them some flowers. Write them a note. Pretty soon, hey, I'm really not as ticked off as I, as I was before. Now, let's try a little experiment, you know, okay? What I want you to do for, for 15 seconds is to smile and laugh like crazy, one, two, three. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, my goodness. It, it, it kind of it, it does feel a little, I feel a little bit happier, a little bit sweatier. Okay, so, so what do we do? We're about to wrap this puppy up. What, what, what do we do to... to what loving things do we do? Well, Jesus gave us some good advice in Luke chapter 6. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So three things that we can do, right? Number one, he says, pray for those who mistreat you. Here's what I found, that if I'm really praying for somebody, not praying for them like to lose their job and have their car break or something, right? You know, if I'm actually praying, God, God, make them lose their job. No, but if I'm praying, God, bless their life, be in their life. God, help them to know that you love them. God, help them to know that you have a plan and purpose for their life. It's really hard to hate somebody if you're really praying for them. So Jesus says, pray for those who mistreat you. And then he says this, bless those who curse you. And, 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 and what Jesus is referring to is how we, how we talk about people and how we talk to people. See, a blessing is a positive word spoken to or about somebody. That's a blessing. Paul gave some great advice about this when he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, so, so we stop. We, say, we stop saying negative and critical things about them. When behind their back. You ever do that? Yeah, you have. And, 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 and we stop being negative and critical to them, and instead we bless them. We say positive things to them. We say positive things about them, and that helps to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Man, he just keeps messing with us, doesn't he? How do we do that? Well, we we got to look for a way. What, what are some ways that we can give to them? How can we help them? How can we serve them? How, how can we meet their needs? How can we give? How can we go the second mile? How, how can we practically help them? You know, we find out what their needs are, and we go out and we meet those needs. 
See, doing good when we don't feel like it, doing good to someone when we think they don't deserve it, is spiritual resistance training, and it's how God builds the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, Beth Moore tells a story of a time when she was at the airport you know, settling in, in at her gate, and she noticed an elderly guy in a wheelchair near her, and she noticed that the guy was humped over, he, he's skin and bones, and his hair was gray and just a tangled mess, and she said she was repulsed by this guy. But as she sat there preparing for her next speaking engagement, she felt an impression from God saying, you should witness to that man. And she resists the Holy Spirit and said, well, I'll wait till I get on the plane. The Holy Spirit kind of told her, well, I really don't want you to witness to the guy. I actually want you to brush his hair. And she said, well, I don't have a brush, God. And God said, well, ask him if he has one. And so she was restless for a while. And finally, she got up. She walked over. And she asked the guy, sir, uh, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? What'd you say? Uh, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He said, little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to talk louder than that. And so she shouted out, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? And everyone at the gate stared at her, and her face was red as a lobster. The man looked at her, clearly shocked, and said, if you really want to. And she's thinking, no, I don't want to. Uh, I would, but I don't have a brush. She goes, no problem. The guy says, I got one. And so she goes behind the wheelchair. She kneels down behind the wheelchair, opens up the stranger's bag, finds a hairbrush, and starts brushing his hair. And she can't believe what she's doing. She began brushing the old man's hair, noticing it was clean, just matted and tangled. She thought, hey, I don't, I don't do a lot of things good, but I have two little girls, so I'm pretty much a pro at untangling hair. And then she said a miraculous thing happened as she brushed his hair. Everyone around disappeared, and it seemed as if there's no one there except her and the old guy. And she brushed his hair until every tangle was out. And she writes, I know this sounds strange, but I never have felt that kind of love for another soul my entire life. After his hair was soft and smooth, she got down on her hands and knees in front of him and said, sir, do you know my Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. He explained, I've known him ever since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me unless I knew the Savior. He said, you see, the problem is that I had open heart surgery and out of town and She's been too ill to come visit me, and I haven't seen her for several months, and I was sitting here thinking, I'm going to be such a mess when I get to see my bride. And later, as Beth was boarding the plane, the, uh, the agent up front walked up to her with tears streaming down her face and said, you know, that old man that I just helped in, why did you do that? And Beth Moore said, do you know my Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing. And then Beth began to talk to her about the Lord, and and she concludes, God, only God knows how often we are part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. This is one of those rare encounters when I knew God had intervened in details that only he could have known. It was a God moment that I will never forget. Yeah, the apostle Paul was right. And now these things, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love but the greatest is love. In Maple Grove, when we, through the power of the Spirit, demonstrate love when it's undeserved, when we, through the power of the Spirit, love people when we do not feel like it, 
when we, through the power of the Spirit, love people who have hurt us, betrayed us, mistreated us, insulted us, and when we, through the power of the Spirit, push through that resistance and we brush the hair of a broken world, we'll never know what God can do in our lives and in the lives of those whose hair we brush. Think about it. It will change us. Yeah, it's easy to love people you like. Easy for me too. But the challenge is laid out here in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And we're going we're to wrap up with this. And stand with me as I read this. Let's read it together on three. Because you guys are ready to read and move. Woo! All right. One, two, three. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. You see, when, when we love what is undeserved, man, we are creating a fragrant offering that rises up to the throne room of God. Now, we're going to sing a song here right now about love came down, and, and I, I want to talk to a few specific people. Number one, if you don't know that love, if you've never surrendered to Christ as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sins, been baptized in his name, man, come up and talk to me. Man, God wants to love you. He wants to save you. He wants to be in your life. And then I want to talk to those of you who are, who are, who are just a dried out sponge right now. And I want to tell you, it's not about trying harder. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. God is telling you, hey, I want to meet with you. Don't bring a to-do list. I don't need goals and plans. I just want to hang out with you. I just want to talk to you. I don't want to hear what you're not going to do or what you're going to start doing. I just want to be with you because I love you and I want you to be immersed in my love. Amen. Father God, we love you. And God, we are broken people. And you're a God who puts us back together again. God, I thank you that you didn't abandon us and that, God, 2,000 years ago, that your love came down and it rescued us. And it's been rescuing people for 2,000 years. And God, I pray that it'll rescue us today, Lord. I, I pray again for those who need to surrender to you and those who need to immerse in your love. God, I pray that we will just celebrate the fact that love came down to rescue us and now we're free. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.